Peace and love, y'all. This is Brother Fahin, and you are now tuning in to the Leap of Logic Podcast. You know the vibes. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on, y'all? Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of Lead with Logic. And I am your humble and gracious host, Brother Fahim. It's been a minute since I've been in it, but I'm here. So let's go ahead on and begin it. <laughs> Man, hopefully everybody's enjoying the weather. Hopefully everybody's being productive. Hopefully everybody's experiencing some uh Peace and love, and hopefully you came here for a little bit of knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Uh, we all know by now that life moves at a light speed, and uh, it's our responsibility. Uh, we are obligated to try and slow it down so that we can get things done and produce the most uh, that we can produce and be the very best that we can be. And so uh, I'm not above that. <laughs> I try to entrench myself in it. And hold myself as accountable as possible. So I'm um, still working to do better and be the best me that I can be. So here I am. So uh, y'all come on in, relax your mind, let your conscience be free. So today on Leave of Logic, what are we discussing? Well, I um, this was this episode was inspired by a photo that was brought to my attention that led to a deeper, more broader conversation. Some of my family down in Texas uh, shot me an email uh, and it was a picture of Dr. Boyce. You, can, you guys can find it on Twitter, Dr. Boyce Watkins. I follow him for economic and uh, financial literacy, right? He helps, helps me be better in that area. But on his Twitter, you know, he always posts current uh he posts photos and uh, tw- tweets, excuse me, I always post photos and tweets that are a relevant to the black experience, right? The, pl- the plight of the black family, but also uh, that has to do with current events. And he posted something up and it dealt with, it dealt with, let me look at it, right? It dealt with uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. It had Joe Biden and Kamala Harris uh, behind him. I think it was a, a picture when she got installed. Uh, Katanji. Excuse me. It was Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, and Katanji Brown, the, the, the new, the uh, the newly installed Supreme Court justice. And um, what it said was, This image unfortunately speaks to the success of Joe Biden's efforts to exterminate the black male through mass incarceration. Neither of these women is married to a black man. This same image existed on nearly every plantation of slavery. Well, that led to a discussion, but it also, in my mind, it uh, inspired me to look at the deeper context and the deeper meaning, right? Because uh, a picture is worth a thousand words, but also it bears interpretation. Uh, and perception and so uh, sometimes it can be perceived or interpreted through the lens of uh, your exposure your experience and your education and that's fine that's totally fine but uh, it made me look at the broader picture and all over the place people have been discussing uh, 
uh, this new installation of this black woman, Katanji Brown, which is, I think she's an intelligent, brilliant uh, black woman. Um, but people have been, you know, it's been all over the news and we've, we've counted this as sort of a victory, right? Well, at least there's a fraction of our community that looks upon this installation of this black woman as a victory for black people. And so that, that was what I uh, took from it. That was the deeper meaning that I had or the, the revelation that came to me as I'm discussing this with my family. And so um, I said, you know, I think this is worth talking about, my sentiments about this. Um, and so today, that's just what I'm going to do. And uh, for that reason, I wanted to call this episode Symbolic Victories. Symbolic Victories. So what is something symbolic? Something symbolic is uh, it's not really substantial. It's more, uh, it has more aesthetic or surface level meaning, more so than deeper, uh, deep rooted, uh, deep uh, change, so to speak, right? This is without me looking at any dictionary. But uh, it's not substantial. When you think of substantial, you think of action rooted, right? You think of deep change, systemic and institutional change. When you think of symbolic, you think surface level, right? If you look those two meanings up, I'm sure it will reflect uh, not maybe to the, to the word of what I'm saying, but definitely to the concept. And so, um, yeah, these are uh, uh, things that, uh, are symbolic and substantial, but the symbolic is definitely the weaker of the two. Now, I want to bring you guys some more people that I, I really respect. The words of a few people that um, might help contextualize where I'm coming from before I get into what I'm getting into. So, the first book, which is one of my all-time favorites, <laughs> is Message to the Black Man by the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. A lot of you guys know who Donald Elijah Muhammad is via his proxy in the minister Malcolm X. And now his more current uh, representative in the uh, minister Louis Farrakhan. But when you look at Message to the Black Man on page 199, it's just a real simple quote. Real quick, he says, beware of the national elections, my black brothers and sisters. There is no salvation in them for you, only false promises. The only salvation for you and me now is in unity and being under the guidance of Allah through his messenger and his program for us all. Um, now, the latter part of that, uh, that quote, you know, guidance of Allah through his messenger and his program for us all, that might not be relevant to you. However, the first part, the only salvation for you and me now is in unity. That absolutely should apply because uh, without us being unified, which we are not just yet, um, you know, we can make no progress regardless of who's in office on any level, whether it's state or federal, lower or uh, lower level or upper or higher level government, right? When I mean lower level, I mean like uh, local elections you still have to be unified, not uniform, right? You don't have to believe the exact same thing, but you at least have to agree on the overall concept and the overall vision. But that was what the Honorable Elijah Muhammad had to say to us. Next is Dr. Claude Anderson. These books are, are readily available as well. You can get it 
message to the black man. I think it goes for maybe like 10 bucks. Uh, this next book is Black Label, White Wealth from Dr. Claude Anderson. And on page uh, 204, he has in the section strategy, political empowerment. I just want to read to you. He has a couple of points. He makes a couple of points of analysis. In the second point, he says, throughout history, black office holders have been neither numerous nor especially influential. Most entered and left office without altering black America's conditions. More often, they lacked power and direction and had few resources from which to draw support. Um, the, the next point he makes, he says, there has been little quid pro quo. It means you do something for me, I do something for you. For the blacks who put candidates in a public office, this results primarily from the fact that white society controls nearly all aspects of government and it will not easily let government be used to help blacks. Another drawback is black political appointees. The reality of the political process makes it easier for them to bury themselves in the business of taking care of the general public's business rather than proposing issues or programs to specifically improve the quality of life for blacks. I'm going to read that again. The reality of the political process makes it easier for them to bury themselves in the business of taking care of the general public's business rather than proposing issues and programs to specifically improve the quality of life for blacks. They feel safer being good public servants rather than black employees with an agenda of their own. There's often little noticeable difference between them and their non-black predecessors or counterparts. They lose sight of the reasons that blacks fought for the right to vote. Blacks do not vote solely for good government. They vote for candidates who think they will bring them proportional returns. When elected officials or appointees fail to support black people's interests, Blacks must do whatever is necessary to bring the candidate and his appointees to task. So that was Dr. Anderson's take on public officials, public appointees, and political figures that are put in office. The next book is called We Have No Leaders, and it is uh, written by Mr. Robert C. Smith. It's actually the full title is We Have No Leaders, African Americans in the Post-Civil Rights Era. And I'm reading from page 277. From incorporation toward irrelevance to Afro-American freedom struggle in the 21st century. This book provides dismal detailed evidence of the irrelevancy of black politics in producing in the last 25 years benefits for most blacks, especially the imperative to reconstruct and integrate the ghettos into the mainstream of American society. The problem is multifaceted. First, the political culture and system in the United States is historically stubbornly resistant to social change and reform, but especially when such change and reform involves race. Second, American political institutions in the last 25 years have become increasingly weak and fragmented as a consequence of the decline in the party system and the presidency, the ever-increasing influence of even narrower special interest groups, and the growth in power of political posters, consultants, and assorted hucksters, and of a trivia and sensation-seeking media. Third, the white establishment or power elite in the last 25 years has essentially rejected the idea that the federal government has a role to play in dealing with the problems of the ghetto poor, arguing that blacks are to blame for their, con their own conditions. Excuse me. Finally, the leadership of black America, instead of pursuing the leadership organization and mobilization of its core community, has instead 
pursue integration into systemic institutions and processes in the classic top-down hierarchical tradition of middle-class liberal reformers. I'm going to read that one more time. Finally, the leadership of Black America, instead of pursuing the leadership, organization, and mobilization of its core community, has instead pursued integration into systemic institutions and processes in the classic top-down hierarchical, hierarchical tradition of middle-class liberal reformers. He goes on. He's, uh, he goes on to say this. He's discussing Harold Cruz. Harold Cruz wrote a book. Uh, the name of that book, and I have it. It slips me. It slips my mind. I think it's the challenge of the Negro scholar. But he's making an argument. He's discussing the argument that Harold Cruz is making with a student, right? Um, and it says, as Cruz argues, the only possibility of dealing with this logic was for post-civil rights era black leaders to confront what he calls the plural nature of blacks in American society and develop a consensus program for the internal organization and, co and consolidation of blacks as a separate and distinct group in the United States. At the outset of the post-civil rights era, most black, most leaders of black America recognized this imperative and throughout the 1970s attempted to act on it. They failed and since the 1980s, blacks have fell under an institutionalized leadership that seems incapable of de dealing honestly and realistically with the situation of its constituency internally or in its relationship to the larger society. Rather, as in the post-Reconstruction era, it appears that once again, we are blind and led by the blind with a leadership more interested in the trappings and symbols of power than in an internal communal development and mobilization. Now, I know that first part was kind of lengthy, but the part that I really want, I'm going to go back over the part that I want y'all to really hear. They failed, and since the 1980s, Blacks have fell under an institutionalized leadership that seems incapable of dealing honestly and realistically with the situation of its constituency internally or in its relationship to the larger society. Rather, as in the post-Reconstruction era, it appears that once again, quote, we are blind and led by the blind with a leadership more interested in the trappings and symbols of power than in internal communal development and mobilization. Um, yeah. So we, we have three different, uh, three different frameworks, right? One from a religious aspect, which is Elijah Muhammad, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. Uh, one from a more, uh, political perspective, which is Dr. Claude Anderson. And then uh, we have a philosophical one from uh, Robert C. Smith uh, in his in his analysis. So that's kind of the context of of the episode, and that's kind of where I draw a lot of my uh, analysis from. It's where I draw a lot of my sentiments from. Uh, regarding issues like this, right? My feelings on uh, political matters. Um, I also read a, <laughs> I read an article in the, M, uh, the MIT press called, has the Supreme Court been more a friend or a foe to African-Americans? Cause you know, I, 
I really want to know. Well, I'm interested to know what uh, what this really means, right? What Miss uh, What Judge Brown's presence in the Supreme Court? How will it affect our community outside of those symbolic uh, implications that it has? Um, now, in that article, you know, three things were mentioned. They 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 detail the history of the Supreme Court and you know how it dealt with uh, black issues, how black judges. You know, you got Kirkland Marshall, you got Clarence Thomas. You know, you have Brown v. Board. You have all these different cases and how they affect black people. And once they, you know, looked at all that stuff, you know, they they drew this conclusion. You know, they said that uh, the composition of the court mattered, meaning what is it made up of, right? You know, the members demographically, what ethnicity are the members? And we know by and large, it's been a majority of white men. I think there's only been six members on the Supreme Court that have been other than white men. Two of them and not three of them have been considered uh, black. So, you know, that matters. Second, politics matters because it, it influences the composition of the court, right? So the politics of the day, whatever that is, it's always going to uh, influence the court and its members, right? And third, justices broadly reflect the political and social climate of their heirs. Um, none of the court's race rulings during the last half century have veered far from the dominant public opinion. I thought that was uh, pretty vital that it's, you know, none of the none of the rulings have veered away from what the public thought. That's crazy, right? So that all, you know, how does that all, how does that, you know, what does that have to do with Katanji Brown? How does that relate to her? What does it have to do with her? Well, it has everything to do with her. Because I don't think that we, you know, politics is something that African-Americans, black people globally are not savvy about. We're really not. And why do I say that? Just from our conversations, just from our discussions uh, and how we gauge, you know, what we see politically, you know. Um, Katanji Brown, from my perspective, is irrelevant as a Supreme Court justice. Let me put that out there at the outstart. Let me say her presence in the Supreme Court is absolutely irrelevant and obsolete to the black plight. It makes, it bears no difference. It bears no weight. That's why I wanted to read those different uh, quotes and different analysis to you guys to show you that historically, you know, what political figures have meant for our community Right. And they've oftentimes gone into politics to integrate in. Right. They've taken up on this. Uh, I'm going to serve the general public, this trickle down politics philosophy. You know, if I take care of the general public, then, you know, by default, the black, the black community will advance. Right. So the first thing, <laughs> you know, the first thing. I think about when I think of Katanji Brown is this, or I think of any black official in any area or any level of government, right? What's your resume? What's your resume? And who, what are your references? What do I mean? What's your resume? 
What I mean is this, when you go to apply for any job or when you get online and apply for that job, they want to see what your area of uh, influence has been. They want to see what work you have done that will contribute to that industry that you're trying to gain entry into. Well, in this case, what is Katanji Brown's area of work that she's done for the black community? I mean, so far in that I should view her as a credit or as a valuable asset to the community so that I would celebrate her. What has she done for black people? Quite, quite frankly, I think it's the same with all of them. You know, Kamala, Kamala Harris, Barack Obama, what was their contribution to the black community other than they were a first? See, we don't celebrate first in my home. Maybe some of you do, and that's fine. We don't celebrate symbolic victories. What are you really doing? to really cause change and help, help out, help to undo the circumstance and the situation that a lot of brothers and sisters who are not middle class, who are not upper elite, but who are absolutely in the ghettos, who are absolutely in the impoverished, who are stuck. How are you helping them out? How are we helping them out? What does your resume point to? What have you done? And then what are your references? Who vouches for you? Right. That's another thing on your resume. They want to see references. Well, we as a community should look at references. What are those people who we respect and love? Minister Farrakhan, Dr. Claude Anderson. What are these people saying about you? <laughs> I'd even go as far as to say Judge Joe Brown. <laughs> Judge Joe is controversial. But when you listen to his perspective and, and you listen to his analysis on things, he's spot on. He's spot on. So what do these references say about this person that they have elevated? You know, there's an old saying, uh, an enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? An enemy of my enemy is my friend. And I think I discussed this in another episode. Why would I openly embrace a person, place, or thing that my enemy has put in place or who has uh, erected up. That's crazy. Why would I do that? That would be me committing suicide. That would be me walking into my death. Now, of course, you know, <laughs> this is not that extreme, right? The installation of a black Supreme Court justice is not anybody walking into their death, but we should be uh, skeptical of anybody that's plop, uh, propped up, right, in a space that we know has traditionally and historically been unfair and caused detriment and harm to our people. Why would they pick her? You know, like that article said, uh, the court has always been aligned with the time. So when you think about that and consider that fact, you understand that women are being propelled in today in today's society, right? Let's not act like, <laughs> you know, men, black men aren't being uh, penalized and prosecuted at the mere allegation from a woman, right? Let's be realistic about that. So, um, yeah, so the court is exactly where uh, these analysis and historical figures uh, have said it it uh it has been and will be 
it's, it's right there. So, um, but yeah, this is how, this is one of the things I think about. What, what is her resume denote? And what are her references? Who are her references? Who engage, who endorses her? You know, you're going to have to, you're going to have to, for me personally, just me, you're going to have to get the, the endorsement of more than just Joe Biden for me to, to uh, jump on your bandwagon. In fact, it's probably going to have the opposite effect. Like I said, you know, like, hey, whoa. Next thing I think um, we should consider is this, this, this myth of identity politics. What do you mean, Brother Fahim, this myth of identity politics? Too often times, we see someone who looks like us and automatically think that that person has our best interest at heart, politically, right? You could really say that about a lot of things. You could say that in a lot of areas, right? Reverend Wright says, my, all my skin folk ain't my kin folk. And that's the truth. That's the truth. But I think when we're dealing with politics, and we consider power, we really have to keep that at the forefront. Just because a person is uh, may look like you, that doesn't mean they have your best interests at heart. And I think oftentimes we count these symbolic victories. We, we look at these people and say, oh, look, there's a sister, there's a brother up there. They automatically are looking out for our community. And most oftentimes, if we haven't checked their resume, or the work they've done, or the platforms they've stood on for our community, then we can't um, we can't say that if we haven't looked at their references and what their references say about their objective and empirical uh, record as well. Then uh, this identity thing it means nothing. It means not a thing. It means not a thing. And so uh, I think we should really think about that. We should really look into that, excuse me, when we're considering these black politicians, right? We should really look at those things because just because they might identify as our same ethnic group, that doesn't mean that they have uh, or they're even uh, looking out for the community's best interests, you know? They're still a politician, right? So um, don't be fooled. Don't let the skin tone in politics fool you, right? It's the, it's the platform and the agenda. And I think we're taking in by the bluff too much. You know, that, that's one of, it's almost a curse from my perspective because it lulls us to sleep, you know, this whole, oh, they're black, so. They got my best interest at heart. The only, you know, the only time that we are politically, that we are skeptical of black people is when they're a Republican, <laughs> when they're conservative. When they're conservative, oh, we have all kinds of critique for them. We have all kinds of uh, negative reasons as to why they're, you know, not why they're not qualified to lead, right? But when they're Democrat, it's all right. It's okay. You know, when in actuality, they're two different wings on the same bird. So if you have critique, I don't mind you critiquing the Republicans or the conservative. Just critique the Democrat and the liberal, because oftentimes uh, he or she is doing you 
is doing you worse than the Republican is because you got your guard up with the Republican. But that Democrat is eating you alive and you smiling while he's doing it. Oh, he's cute. He looks like me. She's cute. She looks like me. Yeah, so. And then the significance of racial relations to a political figure. This is really, uh, when I say racial relations, you know, I mean interpersonal or social relationships. So you got, um, and this really goes back to that photo uh, with Dr. Uh, Dr. Boyce had left on his Twitter. You know, aesthetics mean a lot in in politics. This is the reason why politicians do certain things. This is why you have someone like Hillary Clinton doing a nay nay with Roland Martin. This is why you have somebody like Bill Clinton playing the saxophone in the 90s on the Arsenio Hall show because they understand how to market and they understand the aesthetics behind that. They understand that that makes black folks, or not even black folks, that makes certain demographics uh, more uh, at ease with them, right? They, they're able to identify because they know these are somewhat staples in the, or at least things that we engage ourselves in in our community, right? So that's an important part of uh, political uh, political uh, issues or political uh, occurrences. Yeah, for lack of better terms, political occurrences. Now, just as much um, you know, as these people have to do things to look a certain way in our eyes, you know, we also have this thing about who we marry. You know, we have this thing about who we marry, you know, in our community, especially when you're in a position that you are trying to help and affect change for black folks, right? Or where we, where you garner our trust, right? There's an air of skepticism when you talk about interracial relationships, especially if you're in a leadership role. And so, <clears throat> you know, I listened to Dr. Boyce Watkins. I listened to him on YouTube discuss Katanji Brown. And he made a lot of sense. But um, ponder this though. You know, when you, would you have the, any black leader, right? Any black leader, anybody who you think has black people's best interest at heart is working for black people. What would you have thought had their spouse been white, right? Could Martin Luther King have made the, the impact that he made with a white wife? I'm not even gonna ask you that about Malcolm X. <laughs> Because I know the answer. <laughs> um, but, you know, when you look at Barack Obama, and this is what Dr. Boyce pointed out, and he was right. You know, Dr. Uh, excuse me, Barack Obama, what's his ethnicity? His father was Kenyan, right? And his mother was European. He was raised European. That's the truth. That is the truth. Go look that up. Now, Michelle 
this is black America, African American from the south side of Chicago, Inglewood to be exact. A part of his acceptance within our community had to do with, yeah, he was the first black or considered the first black uh, candidate and black president, right? But who he was married to made all the difference in the world because it gave that nod to the black community. Look, I'm down for y'all and I can prove it. Look at my wife. You know, it's no coincidence that first ladies get the attention that they get because they are a reflection or they're perceived as a reflection of their husband's uh, belief system, right? That says something about who you are, that says something about your core values. It does. Because if Barack Obama had a white woman on his arm, many of you, some would have respected him, some would have accepted him, absolutely. But by and large, nah, he wouldn't have got the nod. He wouldn't have got the validation from the black community. See, all of that means something. And in politics, when you're talking about wielding power, they know that. They understand that. So, you know, look, look up these people. Look up these different leaders and look at their spouses and who they are. And again, not just what color they are, how they're connected. Right? What's their resume? Kamala Harris, what's her husband's resume? Katanji Brown, what's her husband's resume? You know, we're not talking about lower class people or people who, quote unquote, got it out the mud. We're talking about people who are affluent and connected. You know, Michelle Obama, uh, she wasn't, you know, when the the Inglewood that she grew up in was not the Inglewood that it is today. Believe that, Jack. And anybody who's been to Chicago, you know that. You know, Inglewood looks not, it, it, well, I guess any affluent or middle class black community after the 80s and the, the crack wave. The tsunami that was the crack addiction uh, in inner city America, it, it, it run over our, our communities, our affluent black communities. Anywhere in America, a black community, after the 80s when that tsunami that was crack hit and drowned out the, the black family, it all looks different. They look different now. They look totally different. And Inglewood is no, it's no exception. But back to my original point, you know, when you're talking about race relations um, in politics, you know, it really makes a difference. I remember, um, real quick, I remember, what's, uh, is it Meghan Markle? Yeah, Meghan Markle. I remember how, how, uh, how big of an uproar a ballyhoo was made about, you know, her entering into the quote-unquote royal family and then how the royal family kind of rejected her <laughs> so much to the degree that he has been ousted from his family and many of you believe it's because solely because she's black yeah because she's a black woman and I mean 
She's not even a Michelle Obama, you know, she's not a, you know, ultra supremely melanated black woman. But I think she's she's uh she's mixed, right? Her mom is African American and her dad is white. But uh that made a difference to those European, to those uh noble, you know, to the the royal family. That made a huge difference. And I don't he's not even in the line to take over. He's not even in it. But they've caught hell behind who he married. So it makes a difference. It really makes a difference for a lot of reasons. Yeah, so I really um I don't think Katanji Brown is a victory, a real victory for black for the black community. I think it's a symbolic victory. I'd be surprised if she made any real change. I really would. Yeah, I'd be surprised. But, you know, um, for black women, you know, it's a huge symbolic victory. You know, it's our time. I think Kelly Price has that song. It's our time. You know, and hey, I'm, listen, I'm not a, like I always say, I'm not against the black woman or her elevation. I think that's, you know, it's necessary in the context of the black family, in the context of the, the black family moving together. When you begin to fragment, when you divide anything, you break it down. And I think this excessive emphasis on black women is not healthy and it's absolutely dangerous to the black community, I mean, to the black family. Hear what I'm saying. I'm for the, the elevation and the upliftment and the protection of black women. I am. I just don't think in the media or in the mainstream that that's the intended uh, result. They don't. That's not the result that they want. That's not it at all. It's not the elevation of the black family. And at best, I think any black official, whether it's on the Supreme Court, whether it's in the highest seat in the in the land in the United States, which is the, uh, the presidency. It's only so that you can be of service to the general public, not to the black public, not to the, you know, the black community. And therefore, you know, I can't really take you serious. I can't really count you as a victory. It doesn't matter how qualified you are. And they're only, I, I, you know, she's super qualified. I guess she absolutely is the best candidate, you know, for the Supreme Court, you know, for that for that position that she got, but you know, I don't think she's the best one because they won't let her be the best one for the black community. So, and that's not to knock uh, Katanji Brown Jackson. It's not. But um, yeah, those are my sentiments on Miss Brown and her uh, Miss Brown Jackson. Excuse me, on Miss Brown Jackson's. Uh, freshly installment into the Supreme Court. You know, time will tell. The only person, the only, excuse me, the only thing that I know that has never lied to me in my life is time. <laughs> time never lies to you. You know, time is the great revealer. It's going to reveal everything about all of us. Time. So let's wait and let, let time reveal. Let's see what we'll be saying about Katanji Brown Jackson. Uh, after the hoorah of her installment dies. Let's see what type of substantial change that she will make. How has that worked out for Judge, for, uh, for Joe Biden? 
you know, what has been his substantial contribution to the black community, him and Kamala Harris <laughs> or any or any politician for that matter. You know, you could take a pass. But um, I hope y'all learned something today or at least got a better, a clear understanding of my perspective on, you know, symbolic victories when we deal with uh, politics, you know, and how we hopefully we'll be able to at least have a criteria to gauge or to engage um, political figures, regardless of what their race is, especially when they, uh, when we think it's someone who, uh, you know, is going to be a benefit um, to our community. And I don't, I don't know this to be true. Something else I mentioned before I get out of here, you know, Katanji Brown, I think it was, it was brought to me that, um, it was brought to me that she's not of African-American, uh, descendancy. You know, her family is not, uh, as Tariq Nasheed and brother Dr. Boyce Watkins would say, foundational black American. That's important as well. Why? Because the general mentality, the general psych, uh, psychological state, the overall norms and values are different between black Americans, African Americans, black people, and those people who come here from different countries. The Virgin Islands, Jamaica, you know, uh, the continent of Africa, you know, they don't, they're not as um, they're not as visceral. That's not the word. They're not as committed to the same uh, they're not committed to the same norms and values that we are. Let me say that. Yeah, they're not they're not committed. And there's no sense of uh, there's no sense of unison between the two oftentimes at the broader level. That's not to say all right. That's not to say individual uh, individuals that we may know that we may have in our lives. That's the collective, the overall. And if, if I'm lying or you think I'm lying, prove me wrong. Go out and talk to people. Listen to their sentiments. Have dialogue with them. Get their perspective. Go on YouTube. Get people's perspectives. Different Africans, different Black Americans, get our perspectives of one another. What do we, what do we think of each other and what do we, uh, what do we value? You know, what do we hold dear by way of norms and values, right, and philosophies? And oftentimes, those people who have migrated to America and those Africans that are here in America or native to America, Black Americans, African Americans, whatever you call yourself, oftentimes our philosophy on things does not align with one another. That's a problem. That's another problem. And it, it really speaks to that identity politics thing, right? Because if you have a, a mentality about politics and power wielding that's different from, you know, black Americans, then that's going to that's gonna cause a clash. And it, and it has called, caused a clash 
or it's going to manifest itself a little bit differently from whoever the person is that's in power that's not uh, a black American. So that's why I mentioned that. I hope that makes sense. But um, but yeah, so I'm not I'm not all the way sure. I'm sitting here looking to see what her ethnicity is, what her background, because that says a lot about her mentality and what it is. Right, and it might differ. It will differ. So, listen. I love y'all's feedback. Good, bad, and ugly. <laughs> I love it all. I love to hear it. I love to read it. Um, and I appreciate, you know, I appreciate uh, all the consideration. I appreciate all of the. Uh, the support that I get, you know, from you all, you know, it's, um, it's noted and it's, uh, again, it's, it's appreciated. So, so man, let me get on up out of here. Uh, until, until next time, um, as, uh, as minister Malcolm would always say, may we meet again in the light of understanding, peace and love y'all.